Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Wednesday, October 21st, we're studying Proverbs chapter 31, verses 10 through 31. The book of Proverbs closes with an acrostic poem extolling the wife of strong character. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us Pastor Kyle Meetsner. Pastor Meetsner serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Anchorage, Alaska. Pastor Meetsner, welcome to Sharp Iron. Hi, great. Uh, glad to be here. So, Pastor Meetsner, we're here at the end of the book of Proverbs, and we've seen quite a bit in this book. We get something, well, almost brand new in the book, something that we really haven't seen before, this poem concerning a wife of noble character. It closes out the book of Proverbs, so, I mean, the whole book is the context, I suppose. What do we need to know about where we've been in Proverbs, what we've seen just previously, these words of King Lemuel, going into this text for today? Well, so the whole entire book of Proverbs, of course, is basically about wisdom. Um, the first nine chapters are explicitly about wisdom, and we even see wisdom personified. Uh, doing things like uh, building houses and uh, hewing pillars. And um, yeah, so there's there's all this like basically advice in it. Um, so towards the end, Proverbs 31, it opens with nine verses uh, from King Lemuel's mother. Um, and then, no, a lot of Proverbs too, we, we think it's like, uh, they're they're kind of more special because we know who wrote them, and uh, we don't we don't know exactly who wrote this, and so it's a maybe a halfway anonymous writing here at the very end of Proverbs. Um, Proverbs has always been kind of a challenging book for me to read because you you don't just sit down and read it like like one of the Gospels, like it doesn't seem to like flow really. There's a lot of um, there's a lot of miscellaneous wisdom in there, and it kind of jumps around. And so at the very end of Proverbs, it's kind of, we get uh, 21 verses all about the same thing. And it's kind of nice. You're like, okay, so I don't know exactly who wrote this, um, but it, it could have been King Lemuel, who also, <laughs> we don't know who that is. There's different ideas. <laughs> Uh, or <laughs> it could have been from his mother. Uh, but again, it's like, well, I don't know. So, you know, take your guess. Um, the, the nice thing about no one knowing exactly who it was is that everyone can have their own theory and they're all like kind of equally valid. Um, so you also have to evaluate the text based on itself, not who wrote it. Um, but yeah, so we get 21 verses all about the same thing which we haven't really seen uh, kind of a, a string like that in, in the rest of the book, really. Um, you get paragraphs here and there. But um, yeah, so as you mentioned, it's an acrostic poem. So there's a, there's a clear break from the previous nine verses in chapter 31. 
And uh, the, the, the acrostic poem is a device that's used often in Hebrew poetry um, to kind of signify to us that perhaps this is something where we're doing something of great completion here. So we're going from the beginning to the end of the Hebrew alphabet. Um, you know, and perhaps maybe it's just like a convenient way to know how many verses to write too. Um, I mean, I remember when I was a kid, you'd have to like write a, an acrostic poem of your name and describing who you are with your name or something like that. And, and it was like, okay, I just write four verses and, uh, you know, uh, Meher Shalal Hashbaz sitting next to you has to write like 30. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but, yeah. So it's, um, it's a wonderful text at the end, at the end of Proverbs. And maybe there's something here too. I hadn't thought about this, but is Proverbs like kind of opens talking about um, wisdom and she is often personified as a woman. Um, it ends talking about basically the same thing. Um, so maybe it's just a, a, a nice bookend to, to the whole entire thing. So yeah, there there may be something there. I I've reflected a little bit on that in my own mind, thinking about this text for today, and I'm I'm not sure what to make of it. I don't know that that Lady Wisdom in the first nine chapters ever gets spoken of as a as a wife, but mm-hmm. but the idea of of I mean, certainly Lady Wisdom is is valuable, and what she has for those who seek after her is valuable, which we'll see the value of the excellent wife, as, as the ESV translates verse 10 here in chapter 31. We'll see that. And and some of the comparisons in chapters 1 through 9 between uh, Lady Wisdom on the one hand and then Dame Folly, or, or we had one guest who called her Hussy Folly <laughs> on the other hand. So that's now the second time that the word hussy has been used on, on KFUO, we're pretty sure. So, I mean, there may be something to that. That I mean, and and not in the, maybe not in a, a topical fashion as much as maybe a stylistic fashion, that, that you have that comparison in those first nine chapters of, of Lady Wisdom, Dame Folly, and then here at the end you get this description of the excellent wife in these in these last verses. So some, some thematic connections, and, and certainly within the book of Proverbs itself, even in the randomness of some of the sections, there have been verses that have dealt with the relationship of a, a husband and a wife, uh, of, a, of a husband who, I mean, what kind of wife does he have, and, and is that a, a positive thing or a negative thing? So it's not like it's totally disconnected from the rest of the book, but it is a nice section to close with. Are there connections between the previous nine verses? Not topically so much, but you know, yesterday we, we talked, the uh, Pastor Preuss mentioned, you know, the mother of King Lemuel, whether that's Hezekiah or just another faithful king, that, that she is a, a Proverbs 31 woman in her own right. But whether or not she actually has anything to do with these verses in terms of authorship or, or source, uh, we have to leave that as an unknown. But we do get this, this wonderful section here. And, and there's plenty to talk about today, Pastor Meetzer. I'll go ahead and read the text for us, and then we'll start thinking about what's going on here. So this is Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. 
She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff, and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. That's our text for today, the end of the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. So, Pastor Meetsner, we've got here a poem, an acrostic poem, as you said. Each verse begins with a, the successive letter of the Hebrew alphabet concerning an excellent wife. And it's a fantastic description of this excellent wife, or sometimes the wife of strong or noble character. But what's it? What's its intent? What's the point of laying out? Is this, you, you mentioned the term advice earlier from the rest of the book of Proverbs. Is this advice of some sort? And if so, what advice is given? Yeah, so <laughs> there is... There's, there's this question here, right? Because now he starts off with a question. says, an excellent wife, who can find? And, and I think that is a clue for us as to what this is. Now, it's funny. When you were reading this just now, I, I had a question in my mind. I thought, well, what in the world is the husband doing? Like, <laughs> she just did all the stuff. <laughs> it's like there's nothing left for anyone to do. Um, <laughs> I, not, I, I don't know how much you've, um, uh, looked into this, but I did find like several different, um, websites and blogs with, um, advice, like 10 steps to become the Proverbs 31 woman. Mm. Um, so there is, what I would say is a misuse of this is, um, to impose this upon women and say like, Here's your goal. Um, and I think what it's doing, too, is it's it's pointing us uh, actually to to Christ and to the church um, because we read this. And again, um, now I love being married. I was I was uh, doing some premarital uh, counseling before a, a couple's wedding the other day. And, and, and I just kind of realized that I was sitting there and I was like, you know what? I love marriage and uh, I love having a wife. I've been married for 13 years and like I still kind of get a kick out of 
of having a wife and like coming home to my wife and my children. It's the most amazing thing in the world. Um, dare I say it's even like fun. Um, I find so much joy and satisfaction with them. Um, but my, my wife uh, has been exposed to these sorts of lines of thought of interpretation of Proverbs 31, where it is just this kind of like um, tool almost to like, it's a source of guilt for a lot of women. I guess is what I'm trying to say, um, because, you know, it's, it's almost like our relationship with the, the law, with the Ten Commandments, right? When I consider the Ten Commandments and I, I go through them, um, recite them, um, or meditate upon them, uh, I am continually struck by how much I am not keeping the Ten Commandments even though they are pure, uh, even though they are the word of the Lord, even though they are in some sense advice for us, right? Hmm. It, it's simple. If you, if you have the one true God <laughs> as your only God, and if you use his name, right. And if you actually like rest and uh, have a Sabbath once a week, and, and if, if you don't kill people and all these things, like it's going to go well for you. Hmm. But, um, but, but as we know, like, we don't keep these things. And so they can be a source of, of, of great kind of guilt and ultimately of directing us to Christ uh, and, and his mercy and forgiveness for us. So it, it is advice of some sort, but it is not only advice. It is, it is so much more than that. Um, I mean, I, I don't know uh, how much how much time does your wife spend uh, at the distaff and with with the spindle? Honestly, I wasn't sure if I pronounced that word correctly when I was reading it. <laughs> uh, that would that would be mostly none, yeah. Oh, mostly, yeah. Um, for, well, for the unaware, you know, and I know that there, I'm certain that there's going to be some woman listening to this who's actually at a spinning wheel. But the, the distaff is the thing that you like curl the the um, the wool or the flax around, mm. and and then that brings out uh, the the yarn from that. But um, <laughs> yeah, it's so I don't think it's a set of goals mm. for women to like be achieving. But on the other hand, and I and this is you know. I, I am kind of sympathetic that this is sort of from uh, Lemuel's mom because now I only have, I have three daughters, but um, I, I have advice for them about what sort of man they should be looking for. Hmm. Okay. Um, and it, at the very end, you know, it's, it's saying like, Hey boys, uh, what do you want to look for in a wife? Well, a woman who fears the Lord, that is, that for the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. And, and, and this is what we're really looking for. Um, one of the wonderful things about this too. So if we contrast this with um, song of songs, hmm. which, which I believe in the old days, 
you weren't allowed to read the Song of Songs until you were uh, 33 years old or something like that. I, I think you're um, correct. Yeah, there, there was a there was an age requirement in order to read the Song of Songs. So what's what's the well, why was there an age requirement and what's the connection here with Proverbs 31? Yeah, so they're both talking about rejoicing in your beloved wife. And the amazing thing in in the Song of Songs is he is like delighting in her physical beauty, like nonstop and in ways that like we read it and kind of you're just kind of like, oh, wow, I didn't know that you're allowed to say things like that in the Bible. And, uh, you know, we're just handing this out to everyone. Um, and it's and it's almost kind of shocking sometimes how much he is actually in love with his wife and her appearance. But then you contrast that with the Proverbs 31 woman and what, like, I mean, how many times did he talk about how beautiful she is? Mm. Like, none. It's, it's amazing. Mm. Um, her great beauty, the thing that is to be loved in her is that she's a woman who fears the Lord. And, and, and that is the source of all this kind of over the top uh, behavior on her part. Um, she, she loves her family so much and she is so faithful. I mean, you're kind of like, when does this lady sleep? Mm. <laughs> it's, it's 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 a lot, and and for us to be kind of heaping this on on our our wives is well at least my wife doesn't does not appreciate it all that much. The funny thing about this though is that like I do read this and I think oh yeah that's my wife. Um, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. How many countless nights did my wife? Uh, wake up to to nurse our our children, you know. Um, you know, and that's another thing too. Is that sometimes we don't actually see. It, it takes someone else to look at us and to actually tell us kind of how good we are. Um, I don't know if you've read much Stanley Hauerwas. Um, he he was in two thousand one uh, Time Magazine's Theologian of the Year. I didn't know that they had this like prize, but um, uh, in his autobiography, he writes this thing. He says, uh, if it were just up to me, I would not know that I'm a good Christian man. It, it actually takes my friends to tell me that. And, uh, and you know, it, and I think that this is it, when a man beholds his wife, um, he, he does rejoice in her, her, the great things that she has accomplished. Um, it's amazing. Uh, and ultimately the, the man who rejoices in his wife's wisdom, which is the result of the fear of the Lord. Uh, this is indeed a wonderful thing to be praised. So, and I think if we're, if we're going to take this as advice, well, first off, like young men, um, Beauty is fleeting. Uh, charm is deceitful. Beauty is vain. A woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. What are you looking for in a wife? A woman who fears the Lord. Um, it's always like, 
young men find a wife who will go to church with you and the same thing for for young women find a guy who will go to church with you better yet maybe just like find your spouse at church um that's then... good advice yeah i, I can speak from experience yeah. yeah no i mean if you're, if you're looking the myths it sounds silly perhaps but it's true if you're looking for a christian wife go to a place where christians are go go to church and, and find a wife there yeah i mean that's it's pretty self-explanatory i think yeah and and it's and it's not something to be put off too you know people always kind of think like well i'll start going to church when i grow up or when i start having kids or anything and, and, and like i mean i'm here to tell you that that's probably not how this works um but yeah if you want a good if you want to meet a good christian man or woman where will you find them the bar well, not right now because no one's allowed to go to bars, of course. But um, no, you'll find them in church, and yeah, it's it's great. I mean, if you want to meet a sailor, like you should go to a ship or go hang out on the docks. If you want to meet a, a Christian guy, go to. If you want to meet a man or a woman who fears the Lord, go where you're going to find them. Yeah. So, is it advice? You know. It is advice, but it's not only advice. And instead, it's directing us to something um, greater. Um, And that's the kind of mystifying thing about Proverbs, right? Mm. It is all advice, but it's, it's more than that. It's always directing us to Christ himself, who is true wisdom. Uh, So, yeah, yeah, you're, I mean, you're, you're exactly right when it comes to the book of Proverbs as a whole and this as well, that there is advice here. We don't want to lose that from the text. And I, I think the way that you framed it is very helpful that we, when it comes to the advice, it's not intended so much as so that a, a woman would look at this and, and see in the reflection of the law her sin and so be led into guilt, shame, despair, Rather, more from the other side, this is advice to the young man who is seeking after a wife. And and even as you were, were, were reflecting on it yourself there, advice to the married man as to what to praise in his wife. Uh, not to not for the husband to to say, wife, you are not doing these things, but but rather the, the Christian husband would reflect upon these things and then praise his wife. You you were talking about how how easy it is for we don't see the good works that we do, and rightly so, but others see that in us. And and in fact, that very last verse of the book, give her the fruit of her hands, let her works praise her in the gates. This is speaking, it seems, to the husband, saying, praise your wife, let let her good works be known. Let let her know that, that you, you, she is this excellent, this noble, this strong wife for you. So that, I mean, th- there is that advice, but that's certainly not all there is. We, we've got about three minutes here on this side of the break, Pastor Meester. Let's let's pick up the the more than that on the other side, and, yes. and reflect a little bit more on on the advice that is here. Clearly, the number one characteristic that a young man is looking for in this excellent wife is the fear of the Lord, and, and we've laid that out. And you've 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 portrayed this woman then as, as like a superwoman who never never sleeps because she's always doing these things. In in general, what what is it that's making this wife the excellent wife, what else do we see in her as, as it is laid out here? Well, it's amazing. She doesn't do anything for herself, does she? Mm. Everything she does 
is is for her husband. Uh, everything she does is for her children. Everything she does is uh, also for for the poor. Um, she is entirely selfless, um, and yet, um, uh, Fulton Sheen says this wonderful thing. Uh, he says, "Like this is the way that women are," and of course, you know, uh, generalizations are kind of dangerous. But they are always seeking to take care of someone, and that is—it's wonderful. Uh, I love in the kind of towards the end of the, the, the section, she laughs at the time to come and she has nothing but kindness on her tongue. She is joyful. She's not a slave. Uh, she's not doing this out of some sort of um, heavy handed obligation that the husband is just like, you better do this stuff. She's actually finding this great satisfaction in, in service of her neighbors, all the way from her husband to the, the poor on the street. Um, yeah, and then, it, yeah, as you were talking about the gates, they talk about the gates fairly often in here. And uh, the gates of the city are basically where the men are hanging out. Um, there's an inner gate and an outer gate. And in between there is basically the the town hall and the town square it's where you go for judgment it's where you go for news so what is the guy i mean there's nothing worse than like a guy complaining about his wife and uh what is he supposed to take there with him oh yeah hey look at look at all this wonderful stuff (laughs) my wife is all about um so yeah yeah, I mean, and and there there you see that very, like I said, the practical advice that is here in the book of Proverbs, but it is more than that, and we will pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFO. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Since 1978, Lutheran Church Extension Fund has had the humble privilege of supporting Lutheran Church Missouri Synod Ministries and her workers. Thanks to faithful investors, LCEF has provided thousands of church workers, congregations, schools, and organizations with the low-cost loans and resources they need to reach more people with the saving name of Christ. To learn more, visit lcef.org or call 800-843-5233. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Wednesday, October 21st. We're looking at Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. We've got Pastor Kyle Meetsner with us. He serves at Zion Lutheran Church in Anchorage, Alaska. Pastor Meetsner, prior to the break, we were talking about that there is advice in this text given to young men seeking after a wife. They should be looking for one who fears the Lord, one who is a Christian. And from that, then there's all these other characteristics that that are given here in this chapter, but you also said that this is more than advice. Why is it more than advice? And well, what is that more than advice that we should see here? Well, this is, it's not only advice. Um, 
and again, I think the very first line kind of clues us into this. An excellent wife who can find. <laughs> uh, you're going to ha have a hard time. But I think the, the question is like, you can't. Um, this lady is doing too much. And on some level, she does not really exist. Um, we can have a description here of the the mother, the wife who is who is engaged in nothing but selfless love and service towards others. Uh, and but again, it's it's not a checklist for a faithful wife, for a good wife. Uh, and instead, it is uh, well. So the the early fathers in the church, when they're commenting on this. They, and they do the same thing that we've been doing here. They, they they say like, yeah, well, this is what a wife should be doing: be taking care of her family and of her kids and her community. But then, like, they all immediately just say like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is the church. This is the church. This is about the church. This is a description of the church, even back in in Proverbs. So um, sometimes we. We call Pentecost like the the birthday of the church sometimes, and that's like it's an okay way to talk about it, but it's not actually. Um, it's a lot older than that. Uh, the church goes back to the Garden of Eden uh, with with Adam and Eve uh, in the presence of of the Lord there. So um, yeah, it, it, it is. This has been traditionally interpreted to be uh, describing the church of Christ, which has been uh, the faithful people of God throughout all time and place uh, who are indeed fearing the Lord. So I, that's I mean, and I, th I appreciate your, your point there about the the church has always existed all the way back to the garden. I I don't know. It's maybe been in the last three or four years where I've I've tried to make a habit of referring to the Old Testament saints as Christians. That that these people believed in Christ. They were a part of. They are a part of the church. They share the same faith that you and I share today. And and, and so the church. That's father, what Hebrews says. Well, that's right. I mean, <laughs> this is uh, yeah. They lived by faith. Faith in well, faith in whom? In Christ, who died and rose. And and we should be able to say that. And it. I mean, I, I try to adopt that language in, in my own teaching and, and preaching for myself so that I remember it. And so it, I think it catches people off guard sometimes. And it, it's a helpful, well, what what was it that Abraham believed? What about David? Why why is he a, a man after the Lord's own heart? And those those types of things. And it's it's not so disconnected then from what you and I believe. So the church fathers are finding the church here in Proverbs 31, because as we know, the, the church didn't just start at Pentecost. It goes all the way back to the garden. But but what is it in the description of this excellent wife that would lead, where else do we see this in Scripture, that would lead the Church Fathers to identify this text as talking about the Church? Um, well, we find here a description of perfection um, and purity and of selfless love of which we are quite honestly not capable as fallen uh, human beings. Um, and so this is like, again, this is like, it's a wonderful 
set of goals, but it is it is describing something that is so much greater than ourselves and that we indeed are a part of. Um, we are a part of this this church, um, and it, you, don't you find Jesus talking about this all the time too? Is like how does Jesus talk about uh, his beloved? How does he talk about what the end of the world? Where does Jesus, where does Jesus come and perform his very first miracle, or as as John calls them, signs? It's just amazing to me. Jesus' first miracle is not, it's not like raising someone from the dead or healing them. It's going to a wedding feast. And and there he is. Jesus is rejoicing in this great gift of marriage. Um, now, St. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 5. Uh, this is the most kind of explicit place that it's talked about, I think. Um, but we see this picture. It's It's so wonderful, Ephesians 5. Paul is talking about Christ and the church and about the husband and, and the wife. And, and it kind of gets so mixed up. You can't tell which one he's talking about is he just kind of slips in and out um, about how the husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, his bride. And the defining thing about the bride there, it's not that she is like, you know, doing all these wonderful things it's that the husband uh has washed her uh, that he sees no spot or wrinkle in her and she is presented to him without blemish um (laughs) you might say that the household is clothed in scarlet uh you might say that uh, the husband is known in the gates and praising her her works and it's it's all like the same thing here even even back in proverbs and then in ephesians and it even in the parables and the acts of jesus christ himself who is the great bridegroom um and then we see this at the end of the bible at the end of revelation what do we see we see the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven dressed as what a bride adorned for her husband uh, and that that is that is the church. Uh, that's you and me. That is, uh, it, I mean, it's a wonderful thing. And I think that maybe this is a shortcoming we we have as as Protestants too, is that we're kind of allergic sometimes to this like church language. Uh, though Augustine talks about this in his uh, sermons on on this, he's like, "Holy Church is the bride." And uh, unfortunately now, as we see the Holy Church, she is like disfigured and cut into a million pieces. But as Christ sees the Holy Church, she is um, truly beautiful for she fears the Lord and, and and is perfect. So and that's not to say that we don't need to work on ecumenism with uh, with with other that we don't care about like purity of doctrine and things like that. You know, we do um, because that is ultimately where the, this beauty comes from, but it's, it's a great thing. Um, So again, and as we were talking about this, it's like, no matter how broken we see the church, uh, Christ still sees us perfect. 
And and why is that? Well, it's not because we did all this like great stuff. No, it's because he's actually uh, given us holy baptism that does indeed clean us and make us holy. And there's we're not lacking anything in the church. And so when we kind of like look at Proverbs 31 as this like set of goals or something or advice, he's actually describing how things are right now. Um, this is you and this is you in the church. Well, I, and that, that's a fantastic way of looking at this text. And I think really opens it up and, and makes it so much more because that's what it is than what we were talking about on the first side of the program. And again, not that there's not that advice, but to see here that reality, particularly when you were talking about Ephesians five, that that Christ has has washed the church, made her without spot or blemish or any such thing, as Paul says there, that you know we we see those things, and yet because of what He has done for us, Christ looks at us as His holy beloved bride, His His people, such that and, and, and as you were talking there, you know, so I read Proverbs thirty one, and, and you're telling me, Pastor Meitner, that that this is a description of who I am as the bride of Christ, and and yet. I mean, I know that that I don't do these things. I, I'm reminded of, of the way that Jesus speaks to the sheep on his right in Matthew 25, when he, he lays out, these were all the things that you did for me. And and they say to him, well, Lord, when when did we do those things? We, we didn't see ourselves doing those things. What are you talking about? Exactly. And, and I mean, yeah. in a very similar way here, like, Lord, when was... When was I this per- when was I this selfless? When was when was I working or or when was our congregation this selfless constantly thinking of of others? And and he says you are mine. I washed you. I made you my own. I mean that's just a fantastic picture of if I can say it this way of, of justification by grace. Ah, yes. Um you know and that's the thing is like every congregation is we're always kind of seeing what we aren't or what other people have. Um, this is kind of funny. Someone in my church dropped off some um, old kind of artifacts from the early days of my congregation when it was a lot larger than it is now. And uh, you look in there and <laughs> like the minutes from the meetings, they're still like, well, we did this thing. Not enough people came. And you're like, oh, come on, you know. Um, the glory days, <laughs> but we have this like kind of like inferiority complex maybe. And it, it, and it's like, sometimes it's not really healthy. We, it would be wonderful for us to see what we actually are and how Christ Jesus sees us and how God sees us. Uh, and um, let's see. Bernard of Clairvaux has this, he writes this little book. Everyone should read it. It's just called On Loving God. And it's great. Um, when you read a book from, from the 11th century that's called On Loving God, you're, you're going to think that it's about a bunch of like penance and like weird stuff that you have to do maybe. And um, about like how much burlap underpants you have to wear. But it, it's great. Bernard of Clairvaux, he's just like, 
All right. Well, let's talk about loving God. And the first thing he talks about is how God loves us without condition. And and he just kind of expounds on this for for a long time in this this little book. And and it's it's wonderful. At the end of it, he lays out these four kinds of love. First, man loves himself. It's kind of selfish. And second, man loves God for himself, you know people saying like, well, what can I, what can I get from God? And then third, man loves God for God's sake, saying like, oh, okay, well, God is God, and so I will love him. But then fourth, and this is like, I, this is some sort of Zen that I hope to obtain someday, which is actually already given to me in my baptism. But this, this great love that Bernard describes is man loves himself for God's sake. Man is able to see himself in light of how God has loved him. And it, 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 it's, it, it can sound sometimes to people like we're being, I don't know, vain or something like this, rejoicing in the great gifts that God has, has given to us and seeing that we ourselves are indeed worthy of great love. And in a way that the world like, sorry, they're just not going to get it. <laughs> it. And this is the thing about um, marriage as well. Again, it's, it goes back to St. Paul. You can't tell always what he's talking about, um, whether he's talking about Christ and the church or or me and my wife. Turns out they're the same thing. But, um, like, my wife is perfect only for me. And your wife is perfect only for you. And, you know, I look at other wives and I'm kind of like, well, I don't really understand um, <laughs> how you guys got together. But that, but it doesn't matter because like, well, that lady is not my wife. I have a wife and, and she is perfect uh, and, and, and holy to me. And again, that's how the Lord actually sees us. Um, it, so, you know, it's, People talk about like, you know, Lutheran guilt or Catholic guilt or things like this all the time. And there really is no place for that. Um, the Lord is, is happy and content with us right now. <laughs> this is not to say that we don't want to have goals or anything, but it's like every once in a while I see people setting these like 5, 10, 15 year goals. And uh, I've never been good at setting these things. And maybe that's why I like this stuff. Uh, with with the Lord being content with who I am and loving me in light of his uh, the blood that has been shed for me and it's like okay you want to set goals to be more than content with how God sees you now whoo you know uh, I'd, I'd like to publish a whole entire like um, a, like leadership series on like not setting goals and just being happy with with what God has given you right now. Wouldn't that be great if we could just be happy with how God sees us now and be happy with what He's given to us now? You know, the funny thing is, I think there's actually several commandments about this too. <laughs> there's at least two commandments against coveting, and uh, those are really two commandments urging us to be content there's only one commandment against murder <laughs> um 
I, so, I think, yeah, it's, I think the place where, where a lot of this comes together is in, is in confession and absolution. It, it's in confession and absolution that I, I think God teaches us to, I mean, how did, how did Bernard of Clairvaux put it? That the man would love self for God's sake was the way that I, I wrote it down as you were talking yeah. that, that, it, and that, that can only truly happen in confession and absolution that I, I, I learn how God sees me. I mean, not, not when I try to cover up my sins on my own or somehow try to redeem them on my own by making myself better. And again, that's not to speak ill of, of making goals or, or even of, of striving to do all the things that we've seen the book of Proverbs say we should do. There, there is, there's benefit to living according to the law and for striving toward that. We're not saying that. But but in confession and absolution, that that goes out the window, and and I simply tell the Lord who I am, what I've done, and then He tells me what He has done for me in His Son Jesus Christ, and and the last words the pastor says, "Go in peace," and you respond, "Amen," and and that's, and that's it. That's it. Yeah, that's it. You know, it is kind of funny because we do earlier on, if you're, you know, using the, the hymnal version of it, you do say, like, I'm sorry for this and I want to do better. Right. Right. But that's not the final word. And that's not the basis of the forgiveness and the love, is it? Uh, and instead, what's being done is that all that garbage is being wiped off of you. And you, again, get to see who you truly are and who you have been made to be in your baptism. It's, you know, Tertullian talks about this, that um, uh, we, we are, we're little fishes following our big fish. Don't get out of the water. And so I always kind of picture confession absolution as finding the fishes who are crawling out of the water and just like throwing them back into the deep end and say like, hey. Get back into your baptism. You are holy and you are pure. And what do you say to that? Amen. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. No. That that's all that can be said. And and that's and that's the beauty of of confession and absolution is to go with that promise thrown back into your baptism, as as you said. That's the the beauty of it. We've got about seven minutes here, Pastor Meitzner, and and there's one one more point I think we want to pick up with this is you were you, you were talking about this picture that's given in Proverbs 31 and the question you know who can find this well you, you I mean who who can do this <laughs> well who can do this we've kind of seen this in the book of Proverbs occasionally who who can do this well Jesus can Jesus has I mean so how does how does the the sinlessness the holiness the perfection that we see in the life of Christ how does that fit into this picture that's given in Proverbs 31. Yeah, so it is, well, Christ himself is what wisdom uh, incarnate. Um, he is the Sophia uh, of God. And um, and we're, again, we're kind of allergic to talking about this sort of thing because because um, everything that we we have in our world regarding like uh, gender and men and women and boys and girls, it is all so fallen and, and, and perverted, honestly, that it kind of drives us away from even talking about this because this whole entire thing, you know, like she, 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 and like, Oh, is 
is this actually Christ Jesus himself? Well, yeah. Um, so, you know, it's like kind of like don't get hung up on uh, gender in language. I know there's this like whole movement now about worrying about these things, but like if you can set them aside uh, and, and, and the church has spoken about this in very clear ways that sound to us just honestly kind of foreign and strange. Um, uh, Julian of Norwich was, uh, she was a, a, a cloistered nun uh, who's living in, in somewhere in England, but she dies in 1423. But she speaks about this like consistently in her works. Um, and again, there's like something about it that makes me feel icky because I'm, you know, a 21st century man. Um, but he, he talks about the motherhood of Jesus. <laughs> and you're like, what in the world? But what is it that he actually, he, and Jesus talks about this. He, he longs to gather us as a hen gathers her chicks. That, do you have chickens, Pastor Apple? I don't. I, I could so, if I wanted, but I don't. So um, there's a wonderful thing that chickens do, that hens do, when they're, um, when they're trying to, like, take care of their babies. And it's amazing. They, and I've had this a couple times with my chickens. A hen will actually pluck out all the feathers in her chest, in her, like, breast, in order to gather her chicks close to her and keep them warm and keep them from dying. Uh, and, and that's what Jesus says he's doing for us. There's also this ancient picture of Christ uh, as, as the, the pelican in her piety. And if you've ever seen this um, in Christian artwork, where the pelican pierces her breast and, and feeds her children with her blood. And, and, and suffers for the children, but uh, it is it is a great joy. And again, as the author of Hebrews says, um, he endures the suffering for the joy that is to come, and he does it all for for you and for me. Um, and there's there is pure bliss when we see that that. Christ and his church are indeed one. Um, the church taken from the side of Christ, uh, from, from the suffering of the cross, and, and we are created in him. Um, even from the, the very beginning, um, taken from nothing and given everything uh, in, in Christ. And it's, it, is a, it is a wonderful gift. Um, so yes. Well, and, and in that way, then the picture, I mean, taking Proverbs 31 as a description of Christ and his work for us, and then seeing it also as a picture of the church as Christ sees her, that, that he actually, again, he makes her into this such that she becomes like him, which is just a, a fantastic thing as well. We've got about two minutes to wrap things up here, Pastor Meissner. Yeah. Um, so it's, I guess at the end of this, you know, it's like, hey, boys, here's, yes, this is a wife that you're looking for, a woman who fears the Lord. Um, let's not use this as a checklist to to beat our wives with. 
literally or figuratively either one of those. Um, it, it sometimes this kind of goes goes wonky, of course, too, when we look at the submission stuff in Ephesians as well. Um, that's not a that is not a cudgel for the husband. Um, he he loves her and she submits to her husband because he loves her. And that is, that is, um, that's the goal there. But yeah, it's, so it, there is advice here. We do want to follow things. Uh, but, but we also want to see that this indeed is a description of the church, which we are a part of. And, and it, it is also a description of Christ himself, who's, whose arms are indeed strong and he is clothed in purple, isn't he? And uh, he is, he is, um, he's wonderful and he does everything for us. And, and then, you know, and we, what do we do when we look to the future? I mean, everyone's just like panicked right now. We got an election in, you know, however many days and and it's like, no one knows what's going to happen with anything in the world. We thought that things were like secure. We thought our plans and our goals were going to work out. <laughs> um, right. But what do we do? Well, Proverbs 31, 25. Hey, we can laugh at the time to come. We can actually find joy now, even though the world is falling apart all around us. Uh, for we have indeed have Jesus Christ, uh, who is raised from the dead. This is wonderful. Pastor Kyle Meitzner is the pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Anchorage, Alaska, helping us this morning with Proverbs 31, verses 10 through 31. Pastor Meitzner, thanks for being our guest today. You're welcome. It's great to be here. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithfield, Texas. Thanks for taking this journey through the book of Proverbs with us. Tomorrow we'll be starting a series on the pastoral epistles. Look forward to talking to you then.